Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Before we dive in, next weekend is fall kickoff here at Eagle Brook Church. We're going to be starting a brand new series titled Battle Ready because life's a battle sometimes. You know that to be true right now in this season, right? But God, through his word, has equipped us to be ready for whatever life throws our way. Plus, it's fall kickoff. So it's one of those weekends at Eagle Brook where we tend to up the ante. We're going to be celebrating all that God has done and will do through this church. So who are you inviting? Who's that person in your life that needs to be sitting right next to you or watching online with you? Let's extend that invitation together and get ready for what's going to be a great fall season here at Eagle Brook Church. But today we're in the final week of a series titled, Will God Come Through? I think most everyone wants to believe that God will come through when you feel alone, he'll comfort you. Hopeless, he'll provide hope. When you need direction, he'll provide wisdom. One of the things that fascinates me about God is that he's big enough to care about the entire universe, and yet he cares enough to come through specifically for me and for you. And that's been important for me to understand, especially in light of today's topic. Will God come through when I need courage? Because when I feel afraid, about relationships, finances, or the daily grind of life, I need to know that God will be there for me, that he will give me the courage I need to face the fears and the storms of life. A few months ago, five of us were on a flight back um, from a conference, and when about 10 minutes from landing here in Minnesota, a massive snowstorm started to envelop the Twin Cities. You probably remember this storm. This was on April 14th. This was hashtag Snowmageddon. You probably remember this. Well, after circling for a few minutes, they said, of course, we couldn't land, so we were diverted to Fargo. And once on the ground in Fargo, we didn't want to get stranded there. We didn't want to spend any amount of time in Fargo, okay? So we, we mustered up the courage or foolishness to rent a car and drive straight into the storm. Now, being millennials, TJ couldn't resist recording Instagram storing most of our journey home, so I'm actually gonna let him take it from here. Take a look at this video. It's cold, it's cold. The bad news is we're in Fargo. The good news, I think they have Burger King here. All right, so we were in California and we flew back home, circled the Minneapolis airport, too much snow, too much wind, so now we're in Fargo. So we just made the decision to deplane, and now John is renting a car, and we are gonna drive home. Good decision to be determined. All right, so we got our Nissan Murano, five guys. John, how are you feeling? How are you feeling, John? I'm feeling pretty, uh, feel great, feel great. Okay. I like this. By the time we get to Minneapolis, which is in four hours, the blizzard is gonna lessen and all of your feedback is gonna be incorrect. We will be home pulling into our driveways four hours and 30 minutes from now. Quick stop at Mickey D's and I we're sort of back on the road. Fully. We have only been driving for five minutes, so I we still have like three <laughs> hours and 55 minutes or so left. I don't know what all you guys are talking about. It's beautiful here. <laughs> Good news, everyone. The flight from Fargo to Minneapolis was canceled. We would have been stuck anyway. We made the right decision. So a little update. We decided to drive and you guys were right. 
it got worse. It was a slow go, slow go, but that's that's what it takes. Got to drive slow. Oh man. Now, a couple things about that. I had a choice to rent a large SUV with all-wheel drive for $200 or a smaller SUV with front-wheel drive for $150. With our lives on the line, I chose to save $50, okay? Frugal, <laughs> frugal to the bitter end. Bad decision. And you probably know this, maybe don't, but on Instagram, when you post things like this, people can respond with comments, and people were saying things like, don't come. Do not drive. This is the worst storm that we've ever seen. And the closer we got, the more we realized how right they were. The tension in our car reached a fever pitch. We actually did fight and yell at each other over how to actually or if to pull over, where to turn, how to proceed forward. My coworker, Nate, was so scared he was mad, and he was saying things like, this is the dumbest thing we've ever done. We are not going to make it. We are going to die. Of course, that wasn't helping anyone. <laughs> so at one point, I turned around and hushed him up like he was my toddler son. And then he sat there sucking his thumb the whole rest of the time and saying, I don't worry about it. Dave, on the other hand, you saw Dave. Maybe if you know Dave, he works here at Eagle Brook. On the other hand, he's a dad of four little kids. And he was sleeping like a baby most of the trip. <laughs> Honestly, we're driving 20 miles an hour in perilous conditions. And Dave is dead asleep. But somehow... Somehow we made it. We had to walk home the rest of the way. You saw we had to drop each other off. But truthfully, I've never been more afraid in a car. At one point, you saw this. We're driving 70 miles an hour without a drop of snow in sight. The next, the conditions were worse than anyone could have imagined. Every mile we drove, there was another car in the ditch. We tried to get off many exits, but the wind was howling. Visibility was non-existent. Now, whether this was courageous or foolish, I'll let you decide, but here's the point. Often in life, we'll be cruising along like everything is fine. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to worry about. And then, bam, a storm envelops your life. A friendship ends in betrayal. You unexpectedly lose your job. A spouse walks away. The diagnosis delivers a blow. At that point, visibility will be non-existent, and fear will be raging and howling in your life, every person will then be faced with a choice. Will I give way to fear or move forward in courage? Now, in today's scripture passage, we're going to look at the story of Hezekiah, a man who had to face this choice between fear and courage. Now, to give some backstory about Hezekiah, there were very few decent kings in Israel and Judah's history. But Hezekiah was actually one of them. In 2 Kings, it says, there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah. He was successful in everything he did. Now, before you start thinking his life was a cakewalk, during Hezekiah's reign, the king of Assyria is taking down cities and entire countries left and right. And eventually, the Assyrians conquer the city right next to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, where Hezekiah's hiding out. And Hezekiah knows that he's next. He knows the Assyrians are coming after him, and frankly, he's scared. And I wonder, is there anything that has you feeling anxious or scared right now? Anything that's causing fear in your life, and you're wondering what to do next? Well, Hezekiah responds by sending a message to the king of Assyria that says, I will pay you whatever you want as long as you withdraw. In other words, I will do whatever it takes to remove this threat and relieve my fear. So he gathers up all the gold 
silver and money he can find, he ships it off to the Assyrians. He then thinks that'll take care of it. He's got nothing to fear anymore. But turns out the bribe wasn't enough to make the Assyrians go away. See, they have Hezekiah and Jerusalem in their crosshairs and nothing's gonna stop them now. By the way, that's kind of how fear operates. Fear isn't content with just making you quiver. Fear wants to completely destroy you. Fear wants to stop you in your tracks, prevents you from moving forward and keep you from living life the way God intended you to live. But even with the Assyrians about to overtake Jerusalem, God supplies Hezekiah with just enough courage to withstand the threat, hold his ground and overcome the fear. Eventually he holds on long enough until scripture says, an angel of the Lord comes by and wipes out 185,000 Assyrians just like that. And that's what God can do with your fear. You know, at some point in life, every person will be met by a fear so powerful, you'll wonder how you're ever gonna make it. And the question is, will God come through when you need courage? Well, based on the life of Hezekiah, I can see at least three times where God will give you courage when you need it the most. And the first is this, God will give you courage to live counterculturally. Now, let me explain. Back then, culture had become a hodgepodge of worshiping whatever God was most convenient. So in some of his first acts as kings, before, before he had even experienced any problems, it says that Hezekiah removed the pagan shrines and smashed the sacred pillars. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. In other words, Hezekiah had the courage to remove the idols in people's lives. He had the courage to go against culture, to live counterculturally and focus his worship back on God alone. Now, just so we're clear, the definition of culture is this, the predominant set of shared practices beliefs, or values. So back then, it was common for people to just worship whatever God was most convenient, including the kings previous to Hezekiah. And I'd say today's culture really isn't that unlike Hezekiah's when it comes to religious beliefs. Culture today says worship whatever God you want as long as you don't stand for just one God. And I think most would agree that culture is drifting away from Christ-centered values, Increasingly, I'm finding it's becoming more and more controversial to endorse biblical truth. If you do, culture says that's intolerant. Take a stand on any number of Christian values and pre people will scream intolerance. But of course, this argument collapses on itself, right? To call someone intolerant for holding firm in their Christian belief is also intolerant. The point I'm making is that we are gonna need God to give us courage to follow Christ to stand for biblical truth and not get sucked into culture's drifting values. In fact, this was a foundation to Hezekiah's success. It says he remained faithful. No matter what culture was doing, he remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands of the Lord. And then this key word, so, so the Lord was with him. So the question is, will you have the courage to worship God alone, even in the face of cultural pressure, to really do anything but? Now, the good news for us is that Christians have usually flourished when forced to live counterculturally. We have generations before us that have proven this to be true. One example, the early church 
2,000 years ago experienced tremendous oppression because of their belief that Jesus was the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. Despite the cultural oppression, Christianity grew from a few dozen to a few hundred, and by the start of the third century, to several million. Of course, the Spirit of God was willing this to happen, but historian Rodney Starks writes that one of the primary reasons Christianity grew was because Christians cared for the sick, the widows and orphans. They welcomed strangers. They took in outsiders and respected women who were considered second-class citizens. The predominant cultural belief back then were all of those people, widows, orphans, strangers, babies, women, were all considered worthless. But Jesus taught his followers that every single person Every single person has value, significance, and worth before God. So Christians who loved and cared for these people groups were truly countercultural. The historian Rodney Stark says that's one of the primary reasons why Christianity grew. People became attracted to a better way, a more loving and compassionate way of life. That's why I'm convinced for today's Christians even in the face of fear and cultural pressure, isn't to withdraw from. It's not to ignore. It's not even to wage war or battle against culture. Instead, the way forward for us is to live more like Christ and worship God with even more passion and courage. Because when you do, when you live counterculturally that way, people will be drawn to Jesus because his way of life is just better. Last spring, the story of Ty Kane and the Moundsview baseball team became a national story. It was picked up by ESPN and almost every other major network. In fact, Ty and his friend Jack were on Good Morning America, and they received honorary ESPYs, which is an award from ESPN for this story that we're going to show you. Now, at first glance, this story really doesn't seem that extraordinary, but it grabbed the world's attention. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized this act is so countercultural And dare I say Christ-like that the world couldn't help but take note. By the way, Ty and his family attend the Blaine campus at Eagleburg Church. He was baptized in 2014, attending Bethel this fall. Just a great family, great kid. But take a look at his story. We end tonight with the final play of a baseball game because, as you're about to see, it was one class act. Here's Jim Axelrod. The most talked about strikeout in the country has nothing to do with winning and losing. Minnesota high school pitcher Ty Kane has provided us all a master class in how you play the game. I never thought a story like this would blow up the way it did. Last week, Ty's team advanced to the state tournament when he struck out Jack Koken looking and a 2-2 fastball that nicked the outside corner. I really felt for him, and I just felt it was right to go over there and, and say something. That's right. Watch Ty. While his teammates from Moundsview High erupted in celebration, Ty waved off his own catcher to attend to more pressing business, hugging the kid he had just struck out. I didn't think. I just, I just ran over there. It was instinct. After all, Ty and Jack have been pals since they were 13 and teammates on the same travel team. 
They stayed close even after heading off to different high schools. And I said, you had a great season, you were a great player, and don't let this outcome affect our friendship. And I told him I loved him and he's my brother and our friendship will always last longer than this silly game. The hug has become a social media sensation, which just may say something about our thirst these days for examples of how to treat each other with class, grace, and empathy. Our friendship means so much more than a game. Like in 20 years, I'm not gonna remember the score of that game, but I'm gonna remember him coming up to me after that and just kind of just being there for me, you know, when I need someone. The Hall of Fame manager, Leo DeRocher, once said, nice guys finish last. Clearly, he never met Ty Kane, an impressive winner on the field who saved his best stuff until after the game was over. You know, Ty never dreamed that really this story would become a national story. When I called him this week, I asked why he thought it did. Why did he think that this got picked up nationally and just kind of made the rounds on network television? He said, because it's a story of someone going out of their way, thinking about someone else in such an important moment. By the way, he's such a humble kid, really, truly. But he said, it's not something you see every day. And he said, humbly, God used me to set an example of how Christ followers should act. And then he said, to do what's right over what's easy. Man, I love that. That's the definition of what it means to have courage to live counterculturally. And I think we should celebrate that right there. Amazing. That's what it means to be a leader, students. That quote right there, to do what's right over what's easy. Anyway, second way that God will come through for you, like Hezekiah, he will give you courage when you ask for help. Let me ask you, where do you go when you need help? When Hezekiah thought the Assyrians were about to overtake Jerusalem, he sent a message to the prophet Isaiah asking for help. And he said this, today is a day of trouble. It's like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. I know what that's like. Twice I've gone through that. It's difficult. <laughs> and then he says, pray for us. <laughs> In other words, he says, I'm, I'm desperate. I need help. I can't do this on my own. Now, I think for most of us, uh, we'd rather pretend like everything's fine, even when it's not either because of pride, fear, or self-determination. We're just people who are hesitant to ask for help. I know I am, but here's the truth. We weren't meant to handle sin, secrets, or struggles on our own. I almost wrote the, wrote the word, we can't, but we can. We just weren't meant to. We weren't meant to handle those things on our own, and maybe you're struggling relationally, financially, or emotionally. Maybe there's a secret habit, something you're doing, watching or drinking. I know it's not easy to ask for help, but your next step is to just tell a friend or a family member, because when you do, when you bring that sin, secret, or struggle out in the open and ask someone to carry it with you, God supplies you with the courage you need to face it head on. He just will. You know, for those who are really suffering, those who are really struggling, can I make the strongest of recommendations? Maybe your next step is to ask for professional help. Over the years, I've seen a counselor five separate times for a few sessions or longer. The first time in college when I broke up with a girlfriend, my college offered free counseling. I needed help, so I went. Second time, 12 years ago, when I was experiencing some crippling anxiety. Third time to continue to work through some emotional wounds. 
The other couple times just to grow stronger in our marriage, Emily and I saw one together to continue to grow stronger and work through things that we needed to work through with a professional. And each one of those times has cost us something. It's cost us time, money. It cost us sucking up our pride, being afraid that we were gonna be found out, someone was gonna notice. But each one of those times has been so worth it. Some of you need to simply go see a Christian counselor. You know, after Hezekiah asked Isaiah, a friend, a professional for help, the Assyrian king sent a final message to Hezekiah that, listen, your time's up, no more warning. So after receiving this final warning, it says that Hezekiah went up to the Lord's temple and he spread it out before the Lord. He prayed, rescue us from their power, then all the kingdoms will know that you alone are God. And I love that phrase, he spread it out. He literally took the warning, the message, the fear, and he spread it out before the Lord, and he said, help. Every time I speak, I do something similar. I actually take the message. I lay it on the ground. I get on my knees. And I say, God, I cannot carry this on my own. Help me. Use it for your glory. I pray similar prayers for my wife, Emily, for my kids, for this church, for you for major decisions. I'm not capable of carrying any of that on my own. And the truth is, neither are you. The Lord wants to carry those things with you. So let me ask you, what do you need to spread out before the Lord? Maybe it's a decision about where to move, what career to pursue, or what to do financially. Have you spread it out before the Lord? Maybe it's a relational struggle, a conflict with a family member. A friend, maybe it's a dating relationship, an engagement in a, mar a marriage. Have you asked help from a friend, a professional? Have you laid it out before the Lord? Maybe it's that wayward son or daughter. Maybe it's your kids as they start school. Have you spread them out before God and said, use them for your glory. Help them become all that you've created them to be. What is the it that you need to spread out before God because here's what happens. God gives you courage when you ask for help. Okay, final way, like Hezekiah, how God will come through. He will give you courage to trust him when you're afraid. Now, through most of this narrative, we see that Hezekiah's people are completely surrounded. And to top it off, the Assyrians stood on the wall that surrounded and protected Jerusalem to taunt the people and stoke even more fear. The Assyrian king's chief of staff at one point stood on the wall and yelled this to as many people who could hear him. He said, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you into trusting the Lord. He said, we've conquered every other city. What makes you think you're safe? Even the smallest amount of our troops could defeat your entire army. He yelled, eventually it's going to get so bad for people that they will be so hungry and thirsty. They will eat their own, own dung and drink their own urine. You've got to love the Bible. I had to include that, right? <laughs> Old Testament trash talk is the best, as Bob says. <laughs> but in other words, at any point, the Assyrians are going to invade their homes and kill their friends, their family, their people. I mean, can you imagine the fear? Every day, every night, that could be the day that it all ends. You know, psychologists have determined that really we're humans are only born with two fears, the fear of falling 
and the fear of loud noises. That means every other fear or phobia has been learned along the way. So I was thinking about the people collected here and some of the phobias you might have, this might apply to you. If you've got a fear of spiders, that's common. You've got arachnophobia. Maybe you're afraid of cats. You know, you just want to stay away from cats. You got a lure phobia. Maybe you have a fear of being out of mobile phone contact. I mean, be honest. You don't have nomophobia. Maybe you have a fear of clowns. This is a terrifying one for maybe you got this, or maybe you got a fear of beards. You got poganophobia. Now, I think I have the fear of beards because I can't grow one, actually. So I think that's what I've got. But now I know it's all scary stuff and, you know, whatever. But all of our fears and our phobias have been learned along the way. And that tells me something. If our fears have been learned, they can be unlearned. Of course, you know as well as I do, it's not easy to just forget or unlearn something. That's why we need to replace that fear with something else. To replace fear, we need a source of trust. Something to anchor in, something reliable and strong. Because even in the face of fear, Hezekiah was holding firm. So the Assyrian's chief of staff, staff asked Hezekiah, said, what are, what are you trusting in that makes you so confident? You know, why aren't you just giving in to the fear? I mean, clearly we're going to take you down. And he says on Egypt, Egypt was an ally that Hezekiah could have called upon. And then he goes on, he says, but perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting in the Lord, our God. And then he says, what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem. What makes you think that the Lord can rescue you? That's a good question. That's a question we all must answer. Because for Hezekiah, he trusted in God more than the fear. And God saved he and his people from destruction. He helped him overcome his fears. As I was writing this section, I was thinking about all the times I've felt real fear and the few that came to mind the first time in college when I was extremely homesick, a few states away from home. I, I was scared. I wasn't going to find any friends, ever feel like I belonged, even make the baseball team that I had gone to this college to try to make. And if you're a student in that place now, it takes time but God will give you courage to overcome. I was scared to death seven years ago, the day I drove my son home from the hospital for the very first time, looking in the back seat like, what in the world am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> Several decades ago, when my older brother was suicidal for a period of about six months, I was terrified that that day was gonna be the day I found out that my brother had taken his own life. But it was in those moments I had to ask myself, who do I trust? Will I listen to the voice of fear or do I trust the faithfulness of God? Do I believe the promise that the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does? Looking back on all of those moments, God gave me just enough courage to endure. The fears didn't necessarily go away, but he gave me courage to endure. How? By trusting him. So next time you're experiencing real fear, I want to urge you to trust him. What does that look like? It means you hold firm to the promises of God and his word. You don't give in to the voice of fear. It means you lean into God so that he can carry those things with you and for you. Really trust him. Now, the frustrating thing 
about God is that placing your trust in him doesn't necessarily change the outcome. But I believe to my core that it will change how you're able to handle the outcome. In college, I had very few Christ-following friends, but one of them was a guy named Zach Poth. To this day, he's one of the most faithful and generous people I've ever known. We've been to each other's weddings, and we share a friendship that will last a lifetime. But a few months ago, Zach and his wife, Shane, received the news that no parent ever wants to receive. They received the news that their three-year-old daughter, Oakley, had leukemia. And the situation was dire from the moment they found out. We've communicated almost every day, and, and honestly, I can't imagine the pain and the fear that they feel to watch your little girl singing one moment and vomiting the next as her body tries to fight this disease. I just can't. I can't even imagine. But despite the overwhelming fear they felt from the moment they found out, it was clear to everyone around them where they'd chosen to place their trust. A couple weeks ago, Zach Oakley's dad wrote this. He said, tonight we rest our heads on the fact that there is no problem too large or mountain too high or sickness too dire for Jesus. He is our hope and our ever-present help in time of need. He is able. We place our confidence in him. But a few days later, Oakley passed away. But that night, Zach wrote, we have a journey ahead of us but we trust that the Lord is near. Our hope is not lost. He writes, he has never forsaken us and that he will give us peace that transcends all understanding somehow, some way. God has given them courage in the presence of immense fear. It's not that God is gonna remove their fear. They're still afraid every day, every single day from the moment it started, but God has somehow given them courage to endure because they trust him. And when I think about their situation, I think of the words of King David who wrote, even though I walk through the darkest valley, that's the valley they're in, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They are experiencing this comfort. I know because I talk to them somehow, some way, God is supernaturally supplying them with courage to wake up and face another day. And I just wonder, how do people go through life without trusting in God? And I wonder what kind of dark valleys you might be experiencing. And I know it feels dark, and you, you, you can't feel his presence when it's that dark. But let me tell you that God is with you. He's walking with you. He wants to carry it with you. He does. Will you trust him? Will you lean into him? God will give you courage to wake up and face another day when you do. So to close, let me ask, where do you need courage? We all need it, <laughs> me included. Do you need courage that comes when you ask for help? Is there a person, a family member, a counselor you need to see? What do you need to spread out before God? Maybe you need the courage that comes when you trust him. Will you lean into God? No matter how dark it might feel, no matter how afraid you might be, will you lean into God? He will carry it with you. Or do you need courage to live counterculturally like Hezekiah? Courage to hold your ground 
stand for Christ. You know, it's no secret that culture is heading in a direction that's drifting away, not towards, away from Christ-centered values. And I think this is most apparent in today's schools. And so if I could to close, I, I wanna pray for all of our students here. And we've, we've got some fantastic teachers and administrators and educators who attend this church. And we're gonna pray for you too, but, but for students here, it's not easy to live counterculturally. You're gonna need courage to hold your moral ground, to stand for Christ, to do what's right over what's easy. But as a church, maybe you've already started school, maybe you're going back to school this week, wherever you're at, maybe you're watching online. We want you to know that first of all, God will give you the courage you need. And second of all, this church is behind you. So I'm not gonna make you do anything weird, but there is something great that happens when you stand in the presence of people who attend this church so that we can uh, pray with you and for you. So if you're a student across all of our campuses in middle school, high school, college, or grad school, will you stand um, just so that we can pray for you? Go ahead and stand across all of our campuses. If you're watching online, we're gonna pray for you as well. And if you're family um, or friends of these people, maybe if you're comfortable with that, you can just squeeze their hand or put a hand on them. Um, just to let them know that, that we are behind you and we are with you in this next season of life. So with that, let me pray for all of our students here. Heavenly Father, uh, first, I'm just grateful that you are a God who supplies courage. Man, we need it to face life and the things that life throws our way. But we come before you specifically on behalf of our students who attend this church, who are watching online. God, they can make such a tremendous impact in their schools, in their circles of friends, God. And we pray that you would give them courage to hold their moral ground, to stand for you, to follow you, to have the courage to live counterculturally, supply them with a supernatural courage. God, we pray for their minds and their hearts and their souls. Teach them all that you need to teach them intellectually, but God, more than that, through their character, through their heart, through their determination, through their courage, Lord. And we do conclude by praying for every person here who needs an extra dose of your courage as we begin this fall and enter into a new season, both in life and in this church, God. We lean on you for that courage. And so for all of those students, for all of those teachers, everyone who's involved, God, help us to live counterculturally and follow you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks, everyone. If you'd like extra prayer, we'll have a prayer team down in front. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.